It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. Look back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling brother welcome everyone to another big edition of reliving the war my name is nims Azort, joined as always by simon tackler here exclusively on the gray wolf wrestling network we are reliving the war quite literally uh as we go through 1997 and the entire monday night wars simon we're reached the the year mark with wwe and now we've reached the one year mark of WCW because we kicked it all off with Bash of the Beach 1996. Now we're at Bash of the Beach 1997. The NWO has taken over and things in WCW have changed. Yeah, this is a big one too because at Bash at the Beach 96, of course, we saw the formation of the NWO. And one year on, not only has the NWO grown in numbers, they've grown in profile because we see the in-ring debut of NWO member Dennis Rodman. What a huge pay-per-view this is. Hell yeah. And the big question in Bash of the Beach 1996 heading into it was, who is the third man? We found out that that third man was, of course, Hollywood Hulk Hogan. And as a theme for all of our WCW pay-per-views, we like to get a third man in as well. He is our old compadre from formerly from the wild world of wrestling, but he does stuff with us in the professional world of wrestling. Please welcome back to Reliving the War, the one and only Owen Jones, a.k.a. Digital Beard. Hello, my friends. Thank you for having me back for a... This is my back-to-back WCWs. I'm four-time guest. So I feel like this is my podcast now. I'm taking over, brother. <laughs> yeah, well, it's good to have you on board. And it's always... I always love doing this every time we watch a WCW pay-per-view. Uh, at this point in time in your life, you were how old? Um, oh, I would have been. So it was July 13th, 1997. I would have been one year, um, 10 months and four days old. There you go. So this is very much a fresh viewing, unless, of course, <laughs> your parents had incredible hindsight back in the day. Because uh, we did know, son, we found out a couple of pay-per-views ago that you can watch WCW pay-per-views in Australia. But um, we, we'll get to, let's start off with Bash of the Beach 1997 because we've watched a lot of WCW pay-per-views and their intros, well, WWF pay-per-views have been very consistent. They've got a formula. WCW seemed to mix stuff up. Sometimes it's a year 12 media thing. Sometimes it's like stills. This time around, they just straight up ripped a couple of clips from Nitro, didn't they? I feel like they weren't ready for this uh, intro video and then they realized, oh my God, we never made an intro for this show. Just show clips of promos. There was no voiceover. This was the worst intro to a pay-per-view ever. It was. Oh, and when you saw the intro, because obviously you you haven't seen any of the nitros leading up to this. No. Were were you caught up to speed by the, what, six seconds of Lex Luger and um, giant promos? Interspliced with uh, Rod Zilla and Hollywood Hogan. 
I think I was. I mean, it wasn't really, it wouldn't take a rocket scientist to uh, get on top of the storyline. But um, I must say that my, my first note of the show was Luger with his hair out. What a hunk. <laughs> like, remember, remember when, I, when I first started jumping on these shows and I was all, I was like, why is Lex Luger over? What was the big deal about him? I'm a Mark now. I'm a Luger guy. See, the man can't take a shirt off properly, but he can get over <laughs> just by doing a chicken dance. But oh, I must we- say, Nims, sorry, just before we jump into the show, the, my second note after that was, did you see the venue worker with the biggest tray of fairy floss walking through the stands? No. It, like I, This tray was probably like a meter in diameter and just had big like like sticks of cotton candy just shoved in it and he was selling it. And he was just walking through the crowd. It was the first shot I saw of the show. <laughs> there you go. And it actually returned to this arena. So maybe he was a new addition. He heard the buzz from 90 <laughs> to come back with catering. But uh, we start off with Tony, Bobby and Dusty in a Hawaiian theme, except for Dusty Rhodes. Do you reckon, Simon, that um, Dusty got the memo, hey, we're all going for a Hawaiian shirt look, and he just sort of went, now nah, that didn't work for me, brother. <laughs> I'm not doing that. <laughs> Although then to, to flip it around, Dusty and Tony were wearing the laser around their neck and Bobby wasn't. It, again, there was no voiceover to this intro. It's almost like the prop department didn't have three Hawaiian shirts and three lays. So they had to like give each person a little bit of both. And of course, Tony Schiavone being the hog, he uh, had both the Hawaiian shirt and the lay. He decided he was a perfect Venn diagram of the wardrobe there. It was in the uh, middle. Even, it made sense. <laughs> yeah. So it made absolute perfect sense. Oh, and this is the second, this is now a handful of WCW pay-per-views that you've sort of seen with us. Do you like the fact that the announcers get themed in their dress? Yeah. I think it needs to be a thing. Like I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Th- those Hawaiian shirts that um, Shivani and Brain were wearing were absolutely outstanding. Um. No, I think it should be a theme. I think I think when they should like, like I think what well, Extreme Rules is coming up next for WWE. Michael Cole should be wearing a suit of barbed wire. I mean, I think it should be a thing. <laughs> we get to our first match, which is Wrath and Mortis versus Glacier and the Cat. And I could tell you right now, this is the cat sort of stands out like a sore thumb here. He's very much the odd man out of this Mortal Kombat themed fight. We often mention just how over Glacier is, and he's still over to this day at like Comic Cons and stuff like that. But I don't know about you guys, but I was really dreading when I saw, uh oh, this is our opener. This is going to be good. And actually, it really surprised me. It actually turned out not as bad as I thought it would be. I didn't mind this at all. I thought it was fun to see the cat in the ring, you know, in his real match debut. And look, you just said this is sort of, you know, he's the odd man out because they're all Mortal Kombat characters. He's a he's a character too from a game. He's a Milton Bradley karate fighter, which is very <laughs> appropriate for the, for the, the time. Um, I didn't realize that like cat didn't always do the James Brown gimmick though. I couldn't remember this serious cat version that we saw on this show. Yeah, neither could I because like, and obviously no Sonny Ono as well uh, coming yeah. out with him. They on they constantly, they do mention him as the cat once or twice, but it's mainly Ernest Miller, former karate champion, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But I, I actually thought this was a really good match to start it all off considering the four men that are in there. But when you actually consider the, the guys that are in there, I mean, Wrath and Mortis, aka Canyon, actually are pretty decent wrestlers 
Uh, like they were doing some pretty cool little back and forth segments. And I thought too, there was some cool power man sequences. There was a cool power bomb net breaker that Wrath and Mortis went and did. They worked as a team and they sort of really had a, it almost seemed like this was meant to be what the Dungeon of Doom was. It was a cool version of the Dungeon of Doom. And oh, and having seen what the actual Dungeon of Doom looked like, and when you see Wrath and Mortis team up, your thoughts? Yeah, I thought it was, yeah, I agree with you guys. I actually really enjoyed this match. Um, yeah, when I first, um, you know, when they first said it was the, I like how on the entrance screen, it had like what match it was like in the text, and then it had like the Jumbotron above it. That was a really cool touch. Um, also, I must say, Glacier's entrance music is the sickest. I very much enjoyed that. Um, he got a massive pop as well. Like a huge pop for when he came out. Um, no, I really enjoyed the match. It was kind of, you know, it was gimmicky because of obviously they're all like, you know, as you guys said, video game characters or made up characters, like, actually, you know, like fictional characters. Um, but I must say, though, um, just running, keeping, I've got to keep up my gimmicks here. I've got to keep Simon happy with them shitting on Mike Tanay. Um, he made an absolute doozy of a call, which popped me really good. So Rath did the running cannonball off the apron, and Tanay goes, incredible for someone his size at seven foot, even though he said earlier in the match that Rath was six foot ten, even though Rath is only six foot six. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Anytime we can get Tanae, catch him out, I'm happy. Like, that's what put me. He was like, oh, he's six foot ten. And then, like, two minutes later, he's like, oh, the seven footer. I'm like, he grew two inches in like 60 seconds. <laughs> he has magic powers. He can grow during a match. He had, he, he had the, um, the growth spurt that Dennis Rodman had when he left high school. <laughs> now, one thing that also is that we have to note in this match is this is also Glacier's first pinfall loss. He has he lost matches too. before. He has lost matches before, but this is a very big... It's not exactly The Undertaker's streak ending, but it's the <laughs> 1997 version of it, or as close as we're going to get to it. But um, the cat at the end is despondent. He <laughs> does not take the loss well, does he? I made note of that. Glacier's <laughs> knocked out because he got knocked out with like a chain on Mortis's foot. But anyway, even though he's KO'd, Cat is acting like Glacier is dead. He goes up to like his dead body and he throws his hands up to the heavens. He, goes, no! <laughs> he was so yeah, good. Really unhappy about it. I um I tell you what, the the um, the line said at the end, like, you know, when they cut the promo to the um when they when you cut the promo to the camera. And they were like, when you put your nose in our business, we rip it from your face and shove it down your throat. Hey, man, if it gets the job done. <laughs> uh, yeah, old um, James Vandenberg was a hell of a manager there. And oh, yeah. it really did a lot of the heavy lifting when it came to the talking for those guys. But um, they're a, a solid opener, I thought, which really sort of surprised me to set the tone because generally mm. these have been slow and plotting matches with um, Wrath and Mortis and Glacier, but maybe it's the added spice of the cat that got it over the line. <laughs> um, we then have a look at our next little segment. We absolutely love this. This is next to the Mean Gene segments, the WCW online segments are my absolute favorites, DDP and some minion from WCWWrestling.com. And Paige is absolutely dishing it out to him as... Because so, what the premise behind this is? Like, correct me if I'm wrong, Simon. Use because I never obviously I didn't have the internet back in 1997. So the the thought of actually going online and chatting to DDP only to have him 
berate you and have some dude have to type it down. Like, was this is one of the most bizarre ones, but you can sort of feel like the wrestlers are getting the gimmick now a little bit. Yeah, I think it's kind of like the uh, 97 equivalent of a Reddit ask me anything. Mm. You log in, you ask DDP a question, but instead of it being direct from you to him, Fez from that 70s show is kind of the conduit <laughs> from your question to DDP. <laughs> <laughs> and the person asking the question, this WCW online guy, just not doing him favors because he tells DDP, oh, and this question comes from I love cows. And then DDP oh. just rips into him for having a stupid name online. So, yeah, I don't know. That's basically the gist of it. You ask a question and DDP makes fun of your name while his dad hangs out in the background. Do you guys notice that? There was an Diamond old man. Dad. <laughs> yeah. DDD, as he dad, said. <laughs> just hanging out in the back. Just proud of his I, son for slamming some poor kid on the internet. That's what I loved about that. And that and that kid turned out to be Brian Alvarez. No, <laughs> no, but, but for the thing that I loved about that, that little segment is because we saw just how wooden those segments normally are, just like, oh, great, I'm gonna do the bloody spot. Whereas at least DDP is getting he's getting into it a little bit, which I absolutely love there. But uh, your thoughts, Owen, before we move on to the next match. Yeah, that was the, my literally my two notes. That segment were the username I love cows and DDD Dama does that. Like he's just the best, isn't he? <laughs> he's so good. But yeah, these whole like these um these WCW wrestling slash wrestling WCW uh, segments are definitely my favorite of the shows. I reckon. Next to that and the main gene. Next to that and the main gene, sort of. Hollywood, not Hollywood, Hotline Shills. These are the, the standouts and MVPs of these WCW papers. We get yeah. to our next match, which is a cruiserweight championship match between Ultimate Dragon, still Ultimate. And Simon, the more and more that we watch these papers, I'm wondering if we are having a Mandela effect. He was and- never Ultimo in WCW. I'm convinced now. I took note of that too. When does he become Ultimo? He never does. Yeah. <laughs> Well, when does Revenge come out? That comes yeah, out in 98? 98? So, yeah. But by then, I think Ultimo Dragon's gone pretty much. So we'll see. Now, this is... So it's Ultimate Dragon versus Chris Jericho. And this is the worst Chris Jericho. When I say the worst, this is just white meat, babyface, generic wrestler. Just happy to be here kind of guy. And oh, it is so formulaic to build the crowd up. But... I may notice this. I sort of, my first note is, and Owen, you might disagree with me because you've seen a lot more of, you know, that sort of high flying style. I thought this was a very ECW style match. Um, yeah, you're not wrong. I, really, I actually really love this match, but you're not wrong. Yeah, I think it was, um, it was kind of like a mix between the three cruiserweight styles of je- like Mexican, Japanese, um, East, and like ECW. Yeah, because it had that sort of, you know, like, you do your move, I'll do my move. Then we both do a little, and then the <laughs> yeah. audience applauds, yeah. uh, which is something that Dean Malenko and Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero really popularized. Unfortunately, the crowd really didn't sort of, like, they didn't really get into this match, but I made another note here, and maybe you'll agree with me on this one, Simon. Jericho showing why he had the best moveset in WCW NWO Revenge. Oh, man, he was pulling it all out. Double power bombs and the, the lion salt. Look, here's the thing. What you said about the crowd is correct. But when the match started, I I thought this was really technical. It was really good. 
I yeah. made note it was one of Jericho's best matches we've seen so far that at some point the crowd just is like, okay, we've seen enough. And they just mm. stop caring. I don't know. They what start happened. chanting. They start chanting. We want sting as well. Yeah. Like they're doing good moves, but this is that age old argument. Good moves don't matter if you don't have a good story in characters, because these are better moves than we see the whole night. And it's technically really smooth and good, but as it goes on, the crowd is like, yeah, whatever. This would be an absolute barn burner in the ECW arena, but yeah. you know, we're not now here's the thing. I'm not, even though it sounds like we've got a negative connotation to it. This is a, it's, it's a solid match. As you said, Simon, I agree with you with everything you say, but knowing what, especially knowing what Jericho is doing now in 2021 and the almost two decades since this pay-per-view actually went to air, knowing what he evolved into, you can really tell how the character helped his career so much more than just being white meat babyface. And oh, and you've you've the majority of Jericho's career that you've seen has been, you know, where he's hit the big time, so to speak, and he's not the the curtain jerker. No. When you saw him so white meat babyface, like were you able to get into the match as much as you would a normal Jericho match? I actually, I think a lot, a lot of my notes are actually based on Jericho. Um, he really grabbed my attention in this one. Um, yeah, I, I, like I, I kind of, because he played more of a heel when he was in Mexico and Japan. So yeah, the white meat baby face was really kind of like, yeah, as I said, new to me because mm. I've only ever seen, you know, the list Jericho and no country for old men Jericho and all that kind of stuff. Y2, he's Y2J run, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like I yeah I actually really enjoyed this match um yeah I had a lot of notes on it because I just really liked it. Did you notice that the fireworks um in the entrance scared the absolute hell out of Ultima Dragon? <laughs> Ultima Dragon. Because yeah. like oh and just like jumped. <laughs> yeah, him um, and Pyro not a good thing. <laughs> no, um but the I loved it when yeah Simon you did mention like had Jericho pulled out the double power bomb, and then Brain called it the double dribble. That's you know, kind of like refer- referencing like the basketball, like Rodman at the end, of, like at the end of the night kind of thing. Um, but it was, um, yeah, Jericho took some really dumb bumps, but my favorite thing from the entire match. Um, so they both did like suicide dives out of the ring and they were both wiped out and the ref starts um, doing the count out and he's standing on the ropes and then brain goes, even the ref's going to jump out of the ring. Ah, <laughs> oh, it popped me so much. Like, I think watching all these, like, WCW pay-per-views recently, like, I'm a massive... I've just turned to a massive Heenan mark. Bobby Heenan's WCW work is underrated, and re-watching all these pay-per-views reinforces that because he doesn't play the straight heel in WCW. He's kind of a little bit impartial. He just has his favourites, but he does a really good job of adding context to why moves work, and he adds some fun and logic to moments like that. Brain was really good. In WCW, yeah, he and Mean Gene actually had like, and we 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 are probably seeing this a bit now in AEW. There is a career renaissance when you have a change of scenery. Mm. Like Brain and Mean Gene and all of these guys were really really good in WWF, but their time was basically expired there. Now, with a fresh coat of paint in a new setting, they're fantastic. And you, what's old is new again. And yeah. Bobby the Brain stuff. In fact, there's actually, I actually remember Bobby the Brain more from WCW than I do from WWE because that was the time when I sort of got into wrestling around 1994. So to me, when I found out, like, you know, oh, that's right, 
he was he brought Ric Flair in in '91. That's crazy. It just blew my mind. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I we, do, we, do want to say on this match though, my last note was that it was a good match. But now that we're a year into watching WCW pay per views, as good as Dragon is, as good as Jericho is at this point, so far the best cruiserweights we've seen through this whole run it's still Dean Malenko and it's still Rey mm. Mysterio nobody can touch them yet yeah they're they're really you know carrying the flag there too we're seeing a couple more we'll see a little bit later on in the pay-per-view but a bit more of the Mexican influence comes into it because 90 in Bash of the Beach 96 was there any like the who were the cruiserweights there nobody like it was it was Malenko and Mysterio Malenko and Mysterio <laughs> yeah so you can sort of see Bischoff bringing in that, uh, or as Paul Heyman would say, he's stealing everything from ECW, which, you know, isn't really too far from the truth. But uh, we'll move on from that one. Jericho gets the win, retains his title. Then we get our first Mean Gene hotline plug of the evening. This one actually has a bit of substance to it. There's a bit of meat on the bone here because he interviews Raven in the front row. And this is something that really popped me a little bit too. And on obviously because you were really young in 1997. This is is the, that sort of era was when laser pointers were a very big thing. Like you will notice as Mean Gene is trying to do this interview with Raven, Raven's giving his long drawn out soliloquies as he does. And someone has got a laser pointer just focusing it on Mean Gene's head. That was a, a note I missed in the last match. Someone had the laser pointer on Jericho's face. Yeah, it was. It, it was. He was, was doing the uh, the line tamer, and someone had the uh, the was like doing it all over his face. It was we might we might have to add that as a segment during these shows because from now until around 1999, we should be on laser pen watch because my <laughs> god, it, it becomes uh, yeah an epidemic. It's like it's like. Could you remember Simon like the under especially during the yeah. Undertaker's entrance <laughs> yeah. because because the Undertaker is shrouded in darkness. His face just looked like there was twenty snipers <laughs> pointing at him. Like, was <laughs> like the the late nineties were so big with laser pointers back then. But um, what what do you think of the uh, the Raven tease there, Owen? Uh, and because this would probably be the first time you've seen Raven in WCW. Yeah, because was he? Did he just leave ECW, or was he kind of like in between the two? Or I think this is his WCW. De- debut on pay-per-view at least yeah yeah he's wcw pay-per-view debut because the flock because like the flock kicks off not long after that doesn't it this also and stevie richards is in wcw for literally a cup of coffee like he is very much like because obviously he was part of raven's nest back in ecw and there's all that history there between them but in i think he did Refresh my memory, Simon. Was did he burn ECW to jump to WCW with Raven? And then I think he thought he was going to go to the WWE. If I'm not mistaken, there was something. Yeah. But yeah, was... some for some reason he jumped, and then yeah, was kind of in limbo for a little bit. But can we just appreciate that? I think Steve Richards looks better now than he does back then, and back then he looked incredible. Because <laughs> if you follow him on Instagram, the man is just shredded and looks fantastic for his age like now but because like I, I always pop for his like his crop top and how he just rocked it <laughs> and the daisy jukes like he's the man i love stevie richards he's very underrated performer but later in the show they see next which i like nothing happened it's great 
Yeah, Stevie Richards is very underrated when it comes to being henchman that constantly gets taken out. Yeah. But um, uh, yeah, the, the the reason he gets decked out is because he he very childishly says to Raven, "Tell him about the announcement on Nitro," and then just gets absolutely clocked by a Raven. <laughs> uh, we move on to our next match of the night, which is an NWO Japan match versus the Steiner Brothers, Masahiro Chono and the Great Muda versus the Steiner Brothers, Owen. This would uh, this is right in your wheelhouse here, so I'll just throw it straight to you. But before I do, what at what level, Simon, would you say that the slow morph to Big Papa Pump for Scott Steiner is that is at? Oh, this looked like ninety five percent Big Papa Pump. Wear a haircut <laughs> and a bleaching of his goatee away from Big Papa Pump. He is yeah, almost there. <laughs> yeah, he's almost reached his full form. But uh, Owen, what do you think of this one? Oh man, two of my all-time favorite wrestlers. Um, fun fact: the NWO shirt, the the, the Wolfpack NWO shirt I own, I bought from Masahiro Chono's shop in Japan. So that's a nice little because he's the only person in Japan who has a license to produce official NWO merchandise. Hmm. There you go. Um, no, this match was ruled. Um, also, did you? I popped how like when Muda and Chono came out, there were the little crab legs on the camera. Oh, did you, did you, the nice little, little crab legs on the uh, on the camera lens when <laughs> on, they, on the POV. Yeah, yeah, it was so good. Um, and I I always hated how um, <laughs> how how they call it the Orient. Heenan uh, always uses the word the Orient. I was like, no, this is. Uh, Yes, I know that was a very 90s word, but it's a very cringy word to, to hear. And it just reminds me of noodles, like, you know, your fantastic oriental noodles. <laughs> um, but the one thing I, before we get into the actual match, Rednecks yelling at the Japanese, it was like it was World War II all, to all over again. Yeah, WCW was big with that. Um, <laughs> it was very big with Southern Pride, uh, hence, like, later on, in, and when we get to 1999, it'll be interesting once we get to those shows with Master P and the No Limit Soldiers, because um, that got a little <laughs> bit got a little bit testy for uh, the early 2000s slash late 99. But, um, yeah, look, I, I absolutely love this match. And the Steiner brothers, Rick and Scott, you just can't... You can, to anyone that sort of says... That they were not one of the greatest tag teams of the 1990s is hasn't seen their work because they were one of the super teams. You put them next to the Road Warriors and guys like yep. that. But and I should also point out too, Scott Steiner, the original mayor of Suplex City. I mean, he was just going to absolute town. And Simon, did you feel though that Scott really did slow down a little bit now that he's getting a bit more big popper pumpy? He does a little bit. Maybe he's not as dynamic as he was in the early 90s, but he's still doing some impressive stuff in this match. Still you know. pulls out a Frankensteiner. My God, the Frankensteiner, the power moves, just everything. It's still there. One thing I didn't notice, now I think did the Steiners always do this, did you notice they were wearing one black and one white boot each? Do they always do that? Why have I love missed that? that? I loved that. No, I never actually noticed. Yeah, that. they were doing it in this match. But um, do you yeah. think? Do you think it's because we're often distracted by their multicolored um, gear that it's just like there's that there's just such an explosion of color <laughs> that it's just like hang on a second, was it why is it black? What's going on? Yeah, and whereas here now we're into like latex Scott Steiner with the studded belt, like he is so close to wanting <laughs> to you know be Big Papa Pump. Um, also, Chono kept going out of the ring and yelling at one guy. 
Like there was just one guy he would go out and he got into his face a couple of times. Uh, that was kind of cool. Can we talk about the ending though? I feel like oh. I haven't seen the Steiners do this in WCW before, but instead yeah. of doing like the um the Doomsday Device Bulldog that they do, they did a DDT. <laughs> it looked a the finisher DVD. was amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's like elevated DDT. My God, what a move! And and it also Chono just was just sitting in the corner, just looking directly at it, going, hmm, "Wasn't too bad." <laughs> One, two, three. <laughs> what we've lost? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I've always I've always adored like Muda's like snap elbow drops he does. Like they're just a work of art. They're like the coolest thing ever. Um, although I'm, I, I think I think I may have said it in the first show I was ever on with you guys. Dogface Gremlin is the most incredible nickname I've heard in my life. Mm. Yep. It's Where does it come from? What? I, don't, I think it was when he was a singles because he debuted before Scott. So that was just his okay. gimmick. He's the dogface Gremlin. It's just of ridiculous. course, father well, when of you th- Bron Breaker. Maybe stupid names run in the family. But when you think, <laughs> but when you think about it, this is this is the like maybe it's just like a constant in brother tag teams to have stupid nicknames. Like, you know, do you remember when like Matt Hardy for, for, for ages was the angelic Diablo? Yeah. Uh, but then again, Jeff was rainbow haired warrior. <laughs> that's true. And he was also the, he's still now he's settled on charismatic enigma, but um, it just seems to be find words, put them together. Do they sound <laughs> relatively good? I, I like to think that he's going through, all right. Gremlin sounds all right. We need a need something before it. Hmm. Snarled face? No, no. Bear faced? No. Dog faced? Yeah, look, that works. That but, works. Yeah, th- there is really no. And, and just the constant barking by Rick Steiner towards the end of the match, as they're walking back, it seems like he sort of went, oh, oh to hell with it. <laughs> right at the end of the match, actually, we do see it felt like the first hint of the Scott Steiner we would know and love because he gets right into the camera and yells a bunch of gibberish. I rewound mm. it. I couldn't pick up a word he said, but it was just talks in Scott Steiner, basically, <laughs> were the captions. Like, I don't know. Oh, we're seeing the... So when you watch his TNA run where he's calling Samoa Joe fat and, and Steiner maths, remember, <laughs> it started all the way back in 1997. But uh, <laughs> we'll move on to our next match. We mentioned a little bit earlier that there is a bit of Lucha flavor here, and we have a Lucha six-man tag match and I use the word tag match very, very loosely here. It's Hector Garza, Juventud Guerrero, and Lismark Jr. versus La Parca, Psychosis, and Villanoho. <laughs> I'll tell you, La Parca, it's funny seeing him here right now because this is clearly his first pay-per-view appearance, I'm guessing, right, Simon? Because we haven't seen a, him previously on a pay-per-view. Yeah, we haven't. And this isn't the La Parca we would know a little bit later who would become a cult figure in WCW. Same with psychosis too, but Lepaka really, really is someone. I at first when I saw um when I saw um what's his name uh, Lismark Junior, I thought that was Silver King. Do you remember Silver King? Yeah, Silver King and Lismark. They're some of those names you kind of remember, but I couldn't pick them out of a lineup. Because <laughs> at first when he came, I'm like, that's Silver King. I didn't remember. Who, I'm like, oh wait, no, it's not. Hmm. Anyway, we'll move on. <laughs> but yeah, what's very funny is. Poor Mike Tanay just sort of set the scene here. He mentions that this is Mexican rules and he basically turns into the Wikipedia page trying to explain to a WCW audience just what happens in Lucha Trios matches. 
Meanwhile, Bobby the Brain Heenan and Dusty Rhodes seem to have checked out completely <laughs> in this match. They just seem to give absolute zero, zero Fs here. And I don't even know if it's it's a good thing or like they might as well have just left because any contribution they had was really, really just either condescending or what the hell is going on here. But uh, Owen, what do you think of the trios match? Well, to add to that, six of my nine notes are um, excerpts of Bobby Heenan's commentary. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, this match was really cool. Like it kind of started off slow, but then like when it went, it went absolutely full bunter. Like this match went off its head. I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I like the racist music at the start. Just you know, Mexican music. Mm. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, yeah, no theme music. Here's just some Mexican music for you all, basically. Here's, here's a mariachi band to play you out, guys. Have fun. Yeah, um, I think my favorite, like apart from like all the crazy dives and stuff. Another thing that I pointed out that in my notes here is, was there a point of having a referee there? Because the poor dudes seem to be getting in the way of half of the moves there. And this, did you reckon, Simon, that this bloke just drew the short straw that night? Yeah, I think so. Because I think you need a lucha ref for a lucha rules match. This guy didn't know how to officiate this. Because, yeah, there's no tags. You roll out. Someone else can come in. You do this. You do, like, he was just getting in the way of all their, you know, highly rehearsed spots. <laughs> I got to say, I didn't like this match at all. Like, just because I lived through this already, then lived through TNA's X Division, now we've got the wrestling we have now. I wrote no stories, no tags. We've seen all of these moves and spots done better ad nauseum ever since. I don't need to watch a guy run past a guy who pats him on the back, and then he comes back, and then he does a Hurricane Rana ever again in my life. Like, I get it. I've seen it. When there's six guys with no story, I don't care. I am Bobby Heenan and Dusty Rhodes for this match. <laughs> I just love how you just like just straight in. I couldn't do it. Like the crowd was dead, and that was basically me. I will say though, um, there was a hilarious spot where every guy missed a top rope dive off the turnbuckle. I thought that was funny. That was the only bit I really enjoyed. Um, my favourite part of commentary, and I think possibly my favourite part of commentary ever, because that's one. this is one of those, that means two things in 1990s America. Um, when when everything was chaotic and brain will go, brain goes, I'll give you a hundred thousand dollars to tell me who is legal. (laughs) That means two things in 1990s America. That's true. actually. Oh, Bobby the brain. Jeez Louise. That's fantastic. Just imagine if Bobby the brain Heenan was in WWE at the time when Goldust was around. I don't think you can put that stuff on the network now. So Herbertud Guerrero's team gets the win here. And look, I, I, I'll echo everything that Simon sort of said. Just because something is a great show doesn't mean that it's a great show for the audience because it does. It just seemed like quite a long animated gif, uh, <laughs> <laughs> quite frankly. But um, but look, they were trying everything in WCW and it was a place where everyone wanted to be. So this was like a super card and yeah, look, you can't fault them for it. it found They found its niece eventually. And as you said at the start too, Simon, Guys like Lapaka and Psychosis managed to adapt to that WCW style and become big stars there. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not um, just crapping on them and saying oh, no. that all of these guys mm. don't have talent. This kind of match doesn't work. But La Parker later on, when he becomes the chairman, does the funny yep. dance, and we see more of Psychosis one on one and Hoovy as well. And even Hector Garza is a great talent, and he was really good for you know for for a decade after this. So yeah, but yeah, it's just with- this kind of match. What's the point? Yeah, because they haven't really evolved into those final forms. Like that's why you sort of see the wheat from the chaff. Like I'm sure at Bash the Beach in 1998, when we see guys like maybe Cyclope come in, guys that kind of realized, hang on, being that lucha style doesn't work here. I got to add a bit more. Like the the thing that everyone remembers that probably made La Parker get super over is he used to play the chair like a guitar. Yeah, that's it. And that was simple. Yeah. So simple. <laughs> and everyone would pick him in WCW and WWE Revenge <laughs> because he would have a chair to start off and with. He, and he did the cool taunt dance. That's it. That's <laughs> yeah, Parker. Yeah. You pick him for the dance. <laughs> so good. But uh, also, if you do, going well, well off the beaten path here, but if anyone has a chance to check out La Parker's um, CMLL intro where he comes out to Thriller. Or actually, not is it Thriller or Billy Jean? I can't remember. It's a Michael Jackson tune and it's the best entrance. Was that all La Parker or was that LA Park? Because there's two been... of them. And for no, no, legal no. reasons, there's no, two I, of them. <laughs> I think it's like the original La Parkers. Okay. Um, but yeah, uh, so do yourself a favor and check that one out. But uh, we get to our next match, which is Kevin Sullivan versus Chris Benoit. This is a match with Kevin Sullivan's career on the line. Uh, there is a lot of animosity with these guys, both in I wonder and... why. <laughs> yeah. And outside of the ring too. But um, first point I'd like to make, Kevin Sullivan really, really needed to mix up his ring gear because this is not a good look uh, for for Kevin Sullivan. But um, strange, strange match because Jacqueline gets into the mix very, very quickly here. And Simon, do you recall, because you were watching Nitros at the time, when did Jackie sort of insert herself like so much into this match? Because she was here and there in the pay-per-views but she's like an integral part of this match now. We've seen her before though, because remember we saw the the match where her and woman got into a brawl during their match. Yeah, we saw that yeah. one, but she never actually, like she was basically a third person in this match. Well, of course, because this match was no DQ. It was loser leaves WCW. Mm. So she was standing up for a man. I don't know yeah, what the funny. reasons were. I don't know the reasons for anything in this match. And I don't care. This match was awesome. <laughs> I loved it. This was a brawl. Like, this is the opposite of that other match. Sure, the moves weren't perfect and it wasn't technical wrestling. This was all about them beating the crap out of each other. And at one point, Jacqueline, like, beats up Chris Benoit. She throws him into the rail. Then he throws her. And then Benoit low blows Kevin Sullivan, Kevin Sullivan and Jackie, and they both sell it. Like, this match was hilarious. And then, it's fantastic. What about the bit where Kevin Sullivan throws Jackie into Benoit or mm. whatever? And like he's like, oh, that's an auspicious position, is what Brain <laughs> said. It was just this match was, yeah, so good. It it's got everything that a public enemy match should have. <laughs> uh they they brawl uh, towards the entrance stage as well, which is really, really cool. Now I love it. I'm a huge yeah. fan of the brawling into the surfboards, and so much to the point. Where Jimmy Hart climbs up into the little lifeguard, and then he dies. Yeah, and then he takes. Jimmy Hart dies. Jimmy Hart takes a bump, which is fantastic. And this is the argument for custom sets. We've seen brawls. 
in barbecues, in beaches, in spring stampedes. <laughs> like, this is why you need a custom set. Mm. And and it's so good too. This is um, I've I've written down twice here. The logic behind Jacqueline is baffling in this match because she seems to flip flop, and Kevin Sullivan doesn't even seem to treat her right. Like there's bits where he grabs her by the hair and just sort of ragdolls her, and you're just like, hang a second, aren't you? And you just sort of you stop your brain from going too deep into what's going on there. But it's a very very stiff match to Owen, and um, yep. you would have you would have obviously you know obviously the backstory between these two. But what did you think from a guy like Benoit, especially you know how he's regarded these days? Uh, what was your enjoyment of the match, if there was any? The, oh, I loved this match. This match was sick. They threw some absolute potatoes at each other. Like all those punches, they were shoot punches. Like they were just beating the suitcase out of each other. And I loved every second of it. Um, my my main note is like um like <laughs> is Benoit taking a surfboard to the back of the head explains a lot. <laughs> um, and then um when Benoit hit Sullivan with that, like that cane chair and the chair just explodes. Mm. Like, it's just like millions of pieces of chair just all over the ring. Um, yeah. The crowd was so hot. They hung on to everything. Like they were just so invested in this match. It was so great. I loved every second of it. Going back yeah. to the surfboard spot. This is the Tony Schiavone wet blanket call of the night. So Brain's trying to have fun and he's like, oh my God, do you know how much a surfboard weighs? And Tony just goes, no, actually I don't. Like, all right, just play along. Just play along. My favorite call is when when uh, another Brainism that really, really stood out to me, when Jimmy Hart gets knocked out of the top of the lifeguard chair, um, Brain just sort of goes, well, I guess there's no lifeguard on duty today. <laughs> Which is so cool. But uh, yeah, you're right. And this is something that maybe a lot of New Age fans neglect to mention, but Kevin Sullivan was incredibly over. Like he was probably, it would be legitimate to say that he was one of the biggest stars in late NWA, early WCW back in the day. It was his hometown, wasn't it? Yeah, he's from Florida. And that's sort of the territory where he made his name in the 70s too. So this was his retirement match as well. So what a way to go out too. Hometown crowd, feud that's been going on for a year and one crazy match mm. and uh, at the end of it Benoit gets the win after Jacqueline gets one of those paddle pop stick chairs and just cracks um, Sullivan over the head with it it's a very very stiff chair shot it just disintegrates um, Benoit gets the win and then there's a little post-match scene where Sullivan gets berated by Jimmy Hart who is now alive which is good <laughs> but then gets knocked flat on his behind by uh, by Kevin Sullivan, who then storms to the back. So we go from that. It's so far, so good. It's been a pretty solid pay-per-view. And then we get to what is, of course, you know, the piece de resistance, the fantastic... This is, this is the workers' match when it comes down to it. This is the the hidden gem. This is the steamboat versus Savage <laughs> of Bash of the Beach 1997. Jeff Jarrett versus Mongo McMichael. <laughs> oh, boy. Now, the best part of this, before... Before the match even starts, Tony Schiavone says, and I quote, we've had some great United States championship matches in the past, guys. <laughs> Just sort of sets up the entire time. For this oh, my, oh, my stars. Like, And 
I, I don't know where to start with this one. Can, so. I, can I can I jump in on before the match started? Hmm. Because as we've as we've noted, as you guys have noted, the whole WCW when you're walking down the aisle and you're cutting the promo to the ring and you're slagging off the guy you got a got a match with. Did you guys hear what Mongo said to Jeff what, Jarrett? One of the best you lines sh- ever. It's the best sign of. I think everyone needs to stop talking wrestling because this it's it's all it's all over. You should never have jumped in my chili, baby. Yeah. <laughs> you should never have jumped in my chili, baby. Now it's time for you to go down. We should put that on a t-shirt. Like, that's a t-shirt. That's a Mongo shirt. Simon, we should get matching tattoos. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you should never have jumped in my chili. It's too good. Now, obviously, this is not a technical masterpiece. Uh, although the crowd that's is hot for it. The, the, the crowd is... The crowd is <laughs> the crowd is really hot for this fight. So like you can't ju- you can't say that Mongo wasn't over. Why I don't know, but you look, it is what it is. Um, oh, and I'll throw it to you. What did you what do you think of this one? Um, I think uh, I'm 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 gonna say it now because it might break us all. Um, did you guys notice in the front row, redneck Nims? No, there was no. a guy in the front row who looked like a redneck version of our good friend here, and it popped me really good. Did like, Mongo get in his face? Is it that guy? Yes, he was that the one was that guy that Chono Mongo. got into his face too. Oh my god! Yeah, it was redneck Mims. I loved it. It popped me so much. <laughs> what, what can I say? I was I was a real a hole back in 1997, <laughs> allegedly. Um, um, but I love, I, I kind of liked how, like, Jarrett played a really good, like, comedy heel because he did, like, the taunting of flair and it really got the crowd going. Um, and then, like, he, he kept did doing those like, little, he kept doing those little football tackle things too. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was about to say he was doing, like, 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 like the hike stance and, like, the stuff like that. I thought it was kind of cool. And then the actual wrestling happened. <laughs> if you want to call it that. Yeah. <laughs> Oh look, it's it's it. <laughs> we've basically said all that needs to be said. But Simon, do you want to put an exclamation point on this? Give us some thoughts. All I want to say is match. that I've been saying this for months. Who is the face? Who is the heel in this feud? At this point, now Jeff Jarrett has left the Horsemen, who are usually faces. But here, some of them are heels. He's a bad guy. Mongo's been. Hold, uh, Mongo was a heel the past couple of months against those mm-hmm. football players, except for the six man against the NWO. I don't know. I just yeah. don't know what's going on. Um, the move of the match, though, Mongo hit a boss man slam. So normally the opponent runs at the guy doing it. Mongo ran at Jeff Jarrett and boss man slammed him. <laughs> I've never seen anyone do that before, and it was awesome. Someone should do that. Um, one last one last wrap up thing. Um, I will. Did you guys hear? It was like I think it was like the right at the finish. Did you hear what Dusty's like? What Dusty Rhodes said? No, no, no. Right on the noggin wagon. <laughs> what? So, so for those playing at home, the, the finish was uh, Deborah brings the the trademark Halliburton briefcase, yeah. and and then Jarrett gets the Halliburton and just absolutely clonks him over the head. And we find out all along that Deborah has been with Jarrett, the old Halliburton to the head. And oh my God, she's got the assist. She's been with him all the time. The devilish women. The devilish women. And Mean Gene is absolutely appalled at the end. He of is. 
<laughs> he was shoot angry. Is there anything better, Simon, than Mean Gene disgusted? Oh, he was outraged by this, and that's the best thing about him. You know, he if to him all of this is really happening, and it's the best. Mm. But we are no, one I'm... step closer to Jeff Jarrett leaving WCW and going to WWE, and I can't wait for him to leave. Oh, <laughs> we, we, I love your disdain. For no, Jeff no, Jarrett. it gets better for him. I like Jeff Jarrett. I just think <laughs> this is one of the worst runs ever. Sorry, WCW, I should point out mid nineties run. I should point out, I love your disdain for 97, Jeff yeah, Jarrett. Yeah, that's what it is. Exactly. Yeah, pre, pre going to WWF and figuring out who he is, Jeff Jarrett, because like, because he doesn't know what he's doing. He's no. he's a horseman. He's not a horseman. Is he a country? Like, what he's got? Is he a country singer? Is he not a country singer? He's still got his gear from, from the WWE. Like, and, and he, also, him and Deborah becoming a team here later on in WWE, that's one of his best runs too. Them as a pair is really, really good. Yeah, it's very, very cool. But um, uh, the main gene is a poll. We get a quick, uh, quick ad for Road Wild. Very quick ad. It's just literally a bunch of wrestlers on bikes, including Scott Stein, including Rick Steiner. Sorry, and then we get to a Hollywood Hogan, Dennis Rodman, very rambling promo. As was the style of the time, is what I've written down. Now, a couple of notes, two notes that I've written down from this. Uh, the first one is Hogan says Rod the Bod about 60 billion times and secondly i actually had enough time to get up put the dish load the dishwasher put the dishwasher on and come and sit back down and they were still talking uh it it's was Ramble the longest City. it was the longest promo i've ever seen in my life it felt like they were freestyling and hogan told the producer like don't worry. Go with it. You know I'm going to end it on a really cool line and they could just never find the cool line. Like, they <laughs> get there eventually. It just never came. Although there was one line, I don't know if they thought this was going to be like some big saying in 97, but Hogan tells Rodman, you put the icing on my cake, brother. <laughs> like, all right, whatever. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't hear that line. That's um. Well, it's very easy to tune out with this one. Like I said, I loaded yeah. the dishwasher. Uh, I, I was. I was paying more. I was paying more attention to which fin- which compartment the finished tablet goes into than I was at what was being said. Here. <laughs> the only thing I paid attention to was the sparkles on Dennis Rodman's face. He was very glistening. He was very glittery. <laughs> But um, look, it was it was what it was. Hogan was just. But the thing is, Hogan is money at this point in time. Like, could you imagine the poor producer there going, "All right, we got to wrap this up, hoax." Like, like <laughs> that's just basically uh, that doesn't work for me, brother. Uh, but we get to our next match. Uh, so after that rambling setup, and this was a nice little palate cleanser. It is Scott Hall and Randy Savage with Elizabeth versus DDP and a mystery partner. Now, as they come out, Hall has both titles. Um, they don't explain where Kevin Nash is. Do they explain where Kevin Nash is? I don't know where Kevin Nash was. I wish he was here. Because <laughs> this wasn't the best Scott Hall match we've seen, but we'll get <laughs> Well, look, th- I actually I actually um thought this was actually a decent um Scott Hall match because like when you put four guys in there, so DDP enters, he's he's out with Kimberly, and then Kurt Hennig actually makes his WCW in-ring debut here. And obviously Kurt Henning and um, Scott Hall, very good friends in real life and have got a very storied career together from AWA days and whatnot. But um, 
anytime that you put Macho Man and DDP, fantastic mix, Hall and Hedig together was also a perfect mix. Anything else from that seemed to your mileage may vary a little smidge, but um, Owen, what did you think of this one? Um, the crowd went mild for the uh, Kurt Henning um, debut, which actually made me pretty sad because I love Mr. Perfect. Oh, has that been a bit of a perfect mark? But um, yeah, the crowd just didn't really care. Also, the fireworks scared the hell out of Dusty. That popped <laughs> me. Um, but no, it was... Um, I didn't mind this match. I I had a theory of where Nash was, and then it got then it got disproven later in the show. But we'll get the, we'll get to there. We'll mm-hmm. get there. Um, but there is so much testosterone in that ring at one stage. <laughs> when all four of them were in there, they were just kind of like you know, it's just so much muscle and jacked dude. It was great. Mm. Although Brain saying that, look, and I don't know, obviously him and Kurt Henning were close friends, and you know their careers were intertwined for a long time. But when he comes out. Brain said, oh, my God, he looks like he's in the best shape of his life. You know that wasn't true, Brain. That wasn't the best shape <laughs> Kurt Hennig's ever been in. But anyway. Uh, how about how about Scott Hall fat-shaming um, Kurt Hennig? Well, know, exactly. Like, tap- yeah, he was just, he like, he like, he like patted his like, beer guy. I'm like, that's just mean. <laughs> yeah, don't do Did that. Did you happen to notice? <laughs> Did you boys happen to notice uh, Kurt Hennig having to stop himself after he, he did? So he does a rolling snap man on Scott Hall and then he goes now that's and then sort of just moves <laughs> on oh yeah, yeah. I don't want to get sued now because I don't know if you know this Owen but normally when he does something like that he'd go to the camera now that's perfect yeah clearly he's not Mr. Perfect anymore so muscle memory is kicked in he's like no now, now that's, that's Kurt Kurt <laughs> yeah. yes Kurt uh, but there was there's some pretty cool sequences in here too, and yeah. my favorite one happened to be um, Scott Hall throws out DDP, and Savage just absolutely rails him into the stairs. <laughs> it is crazy. Um, but um, the, this also had, yeah, at this point in time, you can see where the NWO thing is really running on fumes a little bit, which is a shame since it's been a full year, and now it's kind of where the stars burning out a little bit because. Yeah. Kurt Hedick t- turns his back on DDP. Cool little story, but do we do we really need to see that? And like, it's it's your first match in. I genuinely, I genuinely popped for that heel turn. Like, because again, I don't really know much about this era. Like, I genuinely, I was like, that's brilliant. And then, like, I like how like Shivani kind of explained like where it could have happened, like how DDP like fell and held the ropes and like held yeah. him back, and then like, I liked it. I I, I, I really actually quite enjoyed it. Simon, what did you think of this one? I didn't like it. I liked all of the matches that these guys usually have. I don't know. It it wasn't very long. They didn't do a lot. There were some cool moments. Like, it was cool to see, yeah, Hall and Hennig in there, you know, knowing their history from the AWA and knowing that Kurt Hennig was kind of like the forefather of the click as well. He invented mm-hmm. the hand sign that they all use. He was kind of a mentor to Scott Hall and Shawn Michaels and all those guys. So it's good to see him in the mix with them. It felt like they were kind of, you know, returning the favor. But just seeing the turn at the end of this match, seeing as we saw a turn with Deborah and Jeff Jarrett as well, yeah. I was like, oh, another turn. Like, this is just the the WCW it's going back to the well. coming out. Like, oh, yeah. yeah, okay. Now we're in that era where everything's a swerve. Everything does turn into a swerve. And fun fact too, like you talk about two little facts that I'll throw in here because I can't see a better time to do it. Um, you talk about 
Kurt Hedig being a mentor to Scott Hall back in the day and, you know, a forefather of the clique, he was also a very big mentor as well to Brock Lesnar in their Ooh. 2002 run because he was back in the WWE back in 2002. And I remember Brock saying something along the lines of, Hennig always said, you know, look out for yourself and do the yourself the best deal, which is basically the trademark of the click when you think mm. about it. Yeah. And on the topic of the click, I absolutely love Scott Hall's blood tights. These are my favorite Scott Hall blood tights because it's got outsiders written in blood uh, on the back. And for those playing at home, if you want to know why Scott Hall has the blood tights in WCW, it's because he's no longer Razor Ramon. And what happens when you get cut by a Razor? Oh God. God, I actually that's never brilliant. knew that. That's so yeah. cool. All right, that's yeah. good. Also, <laughs> Scott Hall doing the suck it thing here months yeah. before DX would, because of course <laughs> they all took from each other. It's all the same group, but yeah. Did you notice how much Hall struggled to get that razor's edge up? Yeah, he had to like yeah, muscle him up. That was really weird. had to. I mean, he did a lot of the workload in this match anyway. But like he was, he was running on fumes. I, I also like, you know, like obviously, because like, the the heel turn led to DDP getting pinned. I love the unenthusiastic three count that Shivani says during, like, like it was like one, two, three. I'm like, that's so good. Like that's that's perfect mm. commentating. Another thing that was also that really added to the perfect comment, uh, the commentary at the end after it's all said and done when Kimberly's hesitating going to try and help DDP in the ring because the NWO is still there. Like that just sort of sells. I just thought that's fantastic way to sell, uh, to sell the threat of the NWO, but yeah, a win for the NWO there. Uh, We move to our next match, which is Ric Flair versus uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper in 1997. It's safe to say that Roddy Piper's best days are behind him. And surprisingly though, this turned out to be a pretty good match. This match was so good. This was my match of the night. I didn't know what to expect. I think we're learning though. Roddy Piper was really over in 97 still. Like the crowds loved him. This match just started as a wild brawl. It was just two guys in their 40s slapping each other, chopping each other, overacting, pantomiming. It was hilarious. I think like a few minutes in, Flair gets on his knees, you know, to do the Ric Flair beg thing. thing. Piper drops to his knees and eye pokes Flair while they're both so in good. one of the best spots ever. Like, um, so good. Now, I, I'll, I'll go two things. First things first, and I'll, I should have left, I should probably leave it to the end of the match. This match went straight into my top 10 matches of all time. <laughs> so good. Really? This, oh, dude, this match is perfect pro wrestling. Like, I. I, I, I was watching this match before I went to work um, last week when I was doing my notes. I I forgot to write notes half the time. I was so into this match. Mm. Um, but Simon, because you've been watching like the, the Nitros and stuff, what led to this match? Because they don't actually explain the breakup. So in the previous Cause la- pay-per-view... Because last pay-per-view, they tagged together. Well, there's this thing. So in the last pay-per-view, they did tag together, but then Rick oh, but Flair... Flair ran off. Yeah, he went to the back and there was no explanation for it. Now, that's what leads to this match. And look, both guys are in the back end of their careers. Clearly, that's not the case because they wrestled <laughs> more times afterwards. But... It's the middle of their careers. <laughs> yeah. in, well, look, in 97, this if, we, if 97 is the present day, they're at the back end we of their careers. We thought that, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, they, somehow, this was a 50-50 effort. Both pulled an absolute 
great match out of the other guy. And I reckon it is because they are both, you know, absolute pros. We have the usual horseman shenanigans as well coming out too. And that was a staple of Ric Flair matches. I mean, you couldn't go on Nitro or a pay-per-view back in the heyday where the horseman didn't get involved in a Flair match. I thought the match was going to end here. So this match sucked, sucked me in too. When Mongo and Benoit came out and Benoit hit the diving headbutt and I thought, ah, no, you've ruined a good match and Piper kicked out. I popped with the crowd. This was yep. so fun. Flair got a hand protector or, you know, like a knuckle duster type thing. Piper took it off him and he used it like... And, and they hit kick it in outs. his trunks. Yeah, he hit it in his <laughs> trunks. Mongo hit a tombstone and Piper kicked out of that like... This was just so good. And then at one point, Piper did the sting spot where he like no sells the chops and mm-hmm. the crowd just lost it. This was so good. And, and how good was like when Benoit went for the flying head, but he um rolled and he hit um uh Piper rolled and he hit Flair instead with the whole flying headbutt. Mm. Like that whole like shenanigans sequence was amazing. Um how good is when um when Flair had the sleeper and Piper went into the jawbreaker. Like that was sick. Mm. Um, also, I want to quickly throw it like right back to the start of the match where Tony Schiavone finally figured out how pro wrestling works. Um, he goes, Piper can beat anybody. So can Ric Flair. It's kind of like how it's kind of how wrestling works, isn't it? <laughs> Either man could win this. <laughs> yeah. Any um, man yeah, with no, two hands has a fighting chance. Yeah, exactly. exactly. But no, seriously, like, like as like Simon said, like I popped along with the crowd for this one, and this was the hottest WCW crowd I think I've heard oh. in like the show. They were on fire. Um, but yeah, the, the, as I said, this match is now in my top ten of all time. This match is so good. What about even just like when Piper first gets on the sleeper? He ends up winning with the sleeper, but when he first locks it in, it's a sleeper hold, and they cheer louder than than anyone doing a Canadian destroyer or something. Like again, (laughs) Roddy Piper got over basically doing nothing and it worked. It was awesome. And the the match won with the, um, you know, like the three hands going down thing. We don't see that a lot. That was cool. Yeah. No, no, because the sleeper hole too, like not since like Ted DiBiase with the million dollar dream, do we see like that was used as a devastating maneuver. And the thing is too, Flair sold it like death. Like he was truly, and to be fair, it didn't look like a rest hold. It genuinely looked like Piper was trying to choke him out shoot style and it worked an absolute treat. But yeah, you're right. This was, like I said, it just goes to show that there's still, to quote Mark Hendry, a lot left in the tank, even at this point in time. And we're finally here. We get to the main event. We saw three seconds of it at the start of um, the pay-per-view in the most cobbled together um, intro video to a WCW pay-per-view even by their standards but it's the Giant and Lex Luger versus Hollywood Hulk Hogan and Dennis Rodman and I tell you the crowd the way that they first off we get the usual Michael Buffer sort of introduction but they are making this match seem bigger than Ben-Hur I mean Simon some of the hyperbole that's coming out of the mouths of the commentators is ridiculous, isn't it? Look, I didn't make note of what the commentators were saying. I'm sure they were saying it was the biggest match ever, but Michael Buffer said for the thousands in attendance and to the tens of millions watching at home. How were there tens of millions watching at home? I looked at the pay-per-view buys. 
There might have been a few million, but 10 seems a bit much. He also said Lex Luger, famous for his Rack of Doom. No yeah. one's ever called it the Rack of we, Doom. We have the same notes. But yeah, <laughs> tens of millions. Tens of millions watching at home. Like Michael Buffer is like, he, he just... He, he must have been in the wrestling business for years because he really knows how to fluff those numbers like a local indie does. We had a thousand people. I count like 40. We had a thousand. Um, but yeah, the rack of doom popped me real good. Yeah, it, it's it's amazing because it's almost like he's just like, oh, I need to have some form of notes for these guys. Uh, <laughs> <he> do- <laughs> oh, somebody said, what's his uh, finishing figure? Oh, he, he does the rack. I'm like, that ain't gonna work for me, brother. Yeah. I mean, had a bit of spice to this, but um, look, it, it is. And to be fair, at this point in time, you know the Bulls are still in, the Chicago Bulls are still in their absolute peachy run of form here. Dennis Rodman, he's one of the biggest superstars on the planet, worldwide recognized. Yep. The NWO is at its hottest, so you can sort of see that the hyperbole is justified just a little bit. Mm. But as we get to the match, like the big question is, how is Rodman gonna go? Because he. It's a celebrity match. It is a celebrity match, essentially. And it's one of the, I wouldn't say it's one of the first, but it's definitely probably the most high profile, would you say, Simon, of the time? For this era, absolutely. Like a few mm. years before, we saw um, Lawrence Taylor main event WrestleMania with uh, Bam Bam Bigelow. No offense to the late, great Bam Bam Bigelow, but this is Hulk Hogan and Dennis Rodman teaming up. Mm. Like this is as big as it got until. Yeah almost a year later with the WWE when they would tie in Mike Tyson. But these were just as big. These Rodman pay-per-views did huge business. This was massive. This this pay-per-view was one month to the day since the Bulls beat the Jazz in the um, NBA championships in game six. Insane. So like come like riding the wave of that and and i mean if you've watched the last dance like they kind of do touch on it like how the team was kind of pissed at Rodman for you know just ducking off and doing some wrestling. Mm, mm. and <laughs> i just love that part though like if while watching the last dance documentary on netflix i'd never expected to see episodes of monday nitro on there but um there you go uh, yeah look, with michael jordan narrating it <laughs> yeah yeah now um so hogan and luger they they lock up and there's some pretty amusing it was a it starts off with a very funny spot where Hogan takes off his bandana like and throws it at Lex Luger and it gets him flush in the face. <laughs> <laughs> it's like poor Lex. He always seems to like end up looking like an absolute buffoon. But but Hogan, it's it's your stock standard Hogan main event, wouldn't you say, Simon? It is, but in the best way possible because mm. we haven't seen Hulk Hogan for four pay-per-views. Yeah. We haven't seen him in a really long time. So really? running through the basics was all the crowd needed. And it's all almost all that we needed too. Because to me, this was fun. It's his greatest Just, hits. Yeah. yeah, we haven't seen it. He did the push and he posed. Then Lex pushed him back and posed. It was just some cartoony BS and it was great. When he tags in Rodman though, Rodman gets a gigantic pop. And then when Rodman hits his first arm drag, Wow, does the crowd go crazy? It's the biggest pop for an arm drag since Ultimo Dragon did one last month. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I said I said that here, yeah. It is the world's biggest pop for an arm drag. And it, oh my it, god. It turns into arm drag city as well because, <laughs> because he is really spamming that move. He's finally figured out how to do it down and see, and he just kept spamming <laughs> it. <laughs> he just keeps <laughs> oh. 
Over and over, he keeps doing it. But then, as revenge, Lex Luger gets tagged um, back in. And then Lex Luger makes a comeback with just arm drags as well. And the crowd goes crazy. Yeah, they go go ballistic. And just going off the beaten track for a little bit here. Do you remember, Simon, like back in the bad old days when Australian wrestling, seeing like we were just like, you know, the other side of the planet and no one would come down here. Do you remember like an IWA show where it was like Dennis Rodman versus Kurt Hennig, like 99 or 2000, one of those weird, he was the headline act. I, re- I remember it vaguely and um, yeah. Who was it? Was it Rodman and Kurt Hennig? I'm pretty sure it was Hennig. But, yeah, uh, we'll, I we'll, think so. I remember that WWFDownUnder.com used to be able to give you tickets to you can you can get tickets to it at the Craigie Burn RSL or wherever it was. Oh God! Oh, that was they were good old days back then. But yeah, look, I'll tell you, Rodman, he might not be the best technical wrestler, but the man knows how to sports entertain. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know, like when he kept wrestling, you know, was in the ring more and was wrestling, and the commentators were like, you know, they're, they're, they're like, oh, shocked, and you know, obviously, you know, you know, kayfabe and stuff like that, you know, keep the act. I don't know why people are surprised that Robin was a good wrestler. Like, he's one of the greatest basketball players of all time in the greatest basketball team of all time. Like, of course, he's going to be an amazing athlete. And I it's thought just that like, too. At one point, he does a leapfrog and they're all shocked. It's like, it's like, he used to, to? it's like he used to dunk and rebound on Shaq. Like, what do you mean? But um, no, I really, yeah, he did, he did the leapfrog into a shoulder tackle. I popped for that. Like, I was like, oh, wow, that was impressive. What is um, funny, though, like, they, they, the commentators actually, ref, like, when they're talking about Rodman's wrestling ability, they're making out like he's the second coming of Bruno Sammartino. Like, that's how <laughs> impressed they are. At one point, though, when Giant tags in, Giant catches Rodman after Rodman had gone for a leapfrog, and then he spanks Dennis Rodman. Again, credit to Dennis Rodman for being an NBA world champion in the greatest team of all time and being like, yeah, I know my role. I'm going to get spanked by the seven-foot guy on TV. It's fun. It's good. Um, I, I do love, like, yeah, in that part there, you know, it's like, oh, giant, he's the seven-footer. Yet six-foot-seven Dennis Rodman's the same height as him. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> wrestling <laughs> but look this was this was actually a really really great match like when you see and and this is why sometimes you know you need to sort of take your mind out of out, like put yourself into like a lot of people will probably if you post this on reddit like hey what did everyone think of the main event of bash of the beach 97 and you see the participants in this match it'd probably be very easy to crap on it but put yourself back in this moment Rodman is in the greatest basketball team of all time at their peak. Mm-hmm. Hollywood Hulk Hogan and the NWO are white hot at the moment. This was strike while the iron's hot. Sure, yes, Rodman's probably taking a spot from like a more deserving person, but this was this was a fantastic, phenomenal match here. And should we get into the shenanigans that happened at the end, Simon? Oh, yeah. Speaking of heights being a little bit suspicious, so Sting <laughs> comes out. And he kind of helps the NWO, but Sting is suspiciously taller than usual. He even steps over the rope like someone who would be big and sexy. It's a little <laughs> bit, little bit sus. Yeah, that. So I'm assuming, I'm assuming that wasn't that was like uncovered on 
Nitro the next night. Because, you know, when, like, yeah, when Nash didn't come out, I'm like, that's definitely Kevin Nash when he came out as, <laughs> as, as Sting. Was that uncovered on Nitro the next night? I don't know if they uncovered it on Nitro, but I know Kevin Nash would dress up as Sting at another pay-per-view, which is maybe a spoiler. So I won't say which pay-per-view, but okay. it definitely happens. Yeah, yeah, because there is that, there's that famous... Because there is a bit where... The one where he unmasks Kevin Nash, he actually comes down from the rafters in that one, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, he does, yeah. which is really, yeah, so really crazy. One, yeah. So he goes, like, he, he fully buys into the, like, the Sting cosplay, even though clearly that doesn't work. I mean, <laughs> I think I, I think they really miss out on a gimmick there where Kevin Nash tries to disguise himself as other wrestlers. <laughs> like, almost, almost like um Giant, um when Andre the Giant was... What were, what were those guys with masks? The machines? Yeah, from the very early 80s. It's like giant machine. Hmm. <laughs> Who could that be? <laughs> like, I would love to see, like, I don't know, during, like, uh, like a cruiserweight match between Ultimo Dragon and Jericho, all of a sudden, like, Nash dressed as Rey Mysterio runs out. <laughs> 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 like, like that would just be his gimmick in all of 1998, just him. <laughs> cosplay as other wrestlers this was a nice little fake out though because even though sting interfered and helped the nwo they don't win luger turns it around and yeah. luger being lex luger he chicken dances he puts the rack of doom on hulk hogan and gets a pop of doom like man crowds love lex luger and we see it again he then oh, racks you... dennis rodman to it's an rack city pop. it is rack, rack city, city. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you guys notice when like then all the shenanigans Savage were... as well because Savage was out there. he just racks everyone it was so good did you guys notice that when like when all the shenanigans when all the shenanigans kicked off giant big booted Dennis Rodman mm. square in the face like there was no hands up like Rodman took it straight to the head I was like yeah he's done like, he's dead Rodman's dead yeah, Rodman fully went all in on this match, and that's what was the best thing about it. Like, yeah, this this was like this wasn't your regular old celebrity. Like, not since Stephen Amell at SummerSlam have I seen someone get this involved. Well, actually, Bad Bunny did at WrestleMania too. Like, I was gonna yeah. say, where do we rank this in celebrity tag team top, matches? Top you know, five, I think. Yeah, because there's Mr. T, of course, the big one at WrestleMania. Bad Bunny this year, who is definitely on the list now. But now mm. that we've gone back and seen Dennis Rodman. Obviously, Rodman would have some, you know, an iffy in-ring career, but this match is up there. It's pretty good. The way he, the way he bumped off that first arm drag that Luger gave him was like he'd been bumping for years. Like, the way he took all of his bumps was, like, picture perfect. And again, mm. back to what I said before, we shouldn't be surprised. He's one of the best basketball players and athletes of all time. Well, like, but, but then again, the past two months in WCW, we've had football players, and neither of those guys were good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look, that's a bit harsh on Kevin Green. Kevin Green was, like... Kevin Green, when WCW was signing footballers, they should have picked Green rather than Mongo. We'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Look, so that wrapped up the pay-per-view. A rare pay-per-view where WCW stand tall. Uh, the NWO, you know, have to cow to the back, but Hulk Hogan delusional as ever. We still won, damn it, brother. They cheated, man. All that sort of jazz speaking to the camera. But yeah. um, all in all, what do we think of this pay-per-view? I'll start off with you, Simon. Fantastic. I loved it. Um, there were a couple of matches that were like whatever, but the last two matches were so good. The Steiner match was good. 
so much of this pay-per-view is good. And just ending on a happy ending on a WCW show, like we saw as well at the Great American Bash, it's good to have. It didn't happen often. And yeah, seeing Lex Luger stand tall, that's got a place in my heart. I love this show. This was really good. For your first time viewing, Owen, what did you think of this one? Yeah, I think this... I'm very positive in this show today. Um, I reckon this may be this may move into our top ten pay per views of all time. I um, that's a big call. Yeah, I I like shit wrestling. No, um, <laughs> it was no, a fun I, show. I, I really enjoyed it. Like I didn't skip through anything. Like and again, like, I watched it before I went to work the one day last week, and I was like, I was fully invested. As I said, I popped for numerous things. Now I don't really pop what like watching wrestling live these days like like i i genuinely popped and was felt like a fan again which was really cool um going back and watching it um yeah i loved it as i said um flair and piper goes straight into my top 10 matches of all time that match is fantastic and probably i know you guys do the whole mvps of the show and i reckon i would put flair or piper as my mvp for the show yeah, for me, this one really sort of cemented. So, Starcade is WCW's WrestleMania. There's no question about that. That's that's how they position it. Bash of the Beach is their SummerSlam, uh, without a shadow of a doubt. It and to be fair, in later years, all the big things happen at Bash of the Beach, and this sort of summed it up too. I reckon if you go back and look at all the Bash of the Beaches, you're never going in there going, "Jesus, this is." this is a lot of filler. There is a, it's generally like that. That's a fair thing to say when you say something, when you look at the history. Yeah. It's interesting with WCW because Starcade was their original big, big show, but then sort of bash at the beach and Halloween havoc kind of compete for that too. So bash at the beach. I know what's coming next year in 98. That's a big mm. one too. They really lean into making bash at the beach, this giant mainstream show. Yeah. The marquee one, but uh, look, let's get to MVPs and uh, oh, did you want to rethink your one or do you want to stick with that as your MVP? Um, no, I'm fairly. I, I reckon either them, or, either those guys, or Dennis Rodman, like mm-hmm. as the MVP, because uh, like this show was just full of highlights for me. Um, I could probably list off like five people I give my MVP to, like the Steiners. Um, we'll probably get it as well. Like it was just genuinely a full, like a show full of highlights. Of or me. Bobby but, Heenan on commentary. Or Bobby he Heenan. so many lines on this show. He was in. I'd probably, form. yeah, I'd probably go either. I'd probably go Rodman, Piper, Flair as my top three MVPs. My, my three, two, one Brownlow votes as we're in the <laughs> season for it. I always like to, I always like to get a little bit left of center when it comes to these MVPs. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go with DDP. Because <laughs> when you think about it, the story continues with DDP. He's still the shining light that sort of, um, you know, he's he's the guy that's positioned as the biggest threat to the NWO. Yes, you've got the win by Giant and Luger, but DDP's the guy that constantly gets into the mix and he just escalates it more with the, with the Hennig heel turn. And also going back where we're talking about how good this pay-per-view is, when the worst match is only six minutes, it's pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, true. That is a good thing. Uh, It's a great sign that you didn't have to sit through a huge Mongo match. (laughs) Because it's over. (laughs) It's over when you want it to be. For me, 
I'm going to give it to Lex Luger. And I know I've become the big Lex Luger defender on this show, but no, that ending, racking everyone. He, he racks Macho and Hogan, the two biggest stars in wrestling. Then he racks Dennis Rodman and he gets to stand tall and have his big moment. So yeah, Lex Luger. And also, sadly, we don't get to see Lex Luger's crowning achievement in WCW because it's going to happen between this and the next pay-per-view. So I would implore everyone, go and watch the Nitro where he wrestles Hulk Hogan for the world title in between these pay-per-views. Lex Luger wins the world title on Nitro to one of the biggest pops ever. It's kind of an underrated moment now because of, you know, Lex Luger's standing, but God damn, what a moment as a kid. That was huge. Uh, I'm gonna, I, I've never seen that match, so I have to go, oh, I might watch it right now. Go watch it's it. Actually, it's so good. It's, it's so good too because they even show at the end of the match, everyone in the, in the locker room, they're all cheering. And there's even a bit where the giant actually, like he cleans the WCW title uh, because it gets rid of the NWO spray paint. Like that's how deep into the weeds they go about like how big of a deal that is. And it all happened on episode of Nitro, which is yeah. pretty cool. And sadly, that but means so, yeah. our next pay-per-view is Road Wild. And like the commercial said, you know what you get when you mix wrestlers and bikers. <laughs> Another crappy Road Wild. <laughs> and you know what happens when you put Hog in the title. <laughs> yeah, Cease and desist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, didn't so yeah, it wasn't last year like Hog. So did they lose the rights to the Harley Davidson name? Yeah. Because Harley yeah, Davidson I, well, I owns Hog in yeah, I don't think they're motorbikes. Right I don't think they were allowed to do Hog Wild. I think it was just like, hang on, guys. Did anyone <laughs> check this? And we all know that Turner Le- the Turner Legal Department was very, very stringent with any sniff of any legal trouble. But yeah, look, Owen, thanks for jumping on board. Another edition of Reliving the War, man. Always a pleasure to get you on board for the WCW ones. We might even get you to watch Road Wild with us. Hey, look, I'm happy to jump on WCW shows whenever you guys need me to. I mean, I did watch the first Road Wild, so I'm happy to do it again. But yeah, it just gives me it gives me wrestling to watch, but it, it's because it's new. It's fresh content for me. As I said, I think we're, we're approaching in 1997 era. We're approaching my second birthday, which I'm sure I got some really awesome Power Rangers toys that I currently display in my home. So they're still around. I'm still around, and I'm still around to watch WCW when you need me. always good to know man but uh simon we've got a pretty big pay-per-view coming up next for us it is SummerSlam, which is SummerSlam 1997 anything of note happened in SummerSlam 97 can you remember off the top of your head mighty man it's a very eventful pay-per-view one of our (laughs) all-time favorites wraps it up for the wwe for the time being this is todd pettingill's final appearance for the wwe (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> He's been one of the MVPs so far, legitimately. But anyway, we've got Ted Todd, Todd Pettengill saying goodbye. We've got Owen Hart versus Steve Austin. Of course, we all know what happens in that match. And we've got the main event. Think about how big this is. The Undertaker versus Bret Hart for the world title. Shawn Michaels is a special referee. We are in the middle of the Monday Night Wars. Like This is when both sides are just firing on all cylinders. I don't know about firing in all cylinders because it also has Los Pericos versus the Disciple of Apocalypse. It's gang wars time, remember? Look, don't worry about that. We've also got <laughs> Triple H and Mick Foley in a cage. Like SummerSlam 97 is huge. <laughs> it's good. 
but we will get to that on the next edition of Reliving the Wall. Oh, it's been a pleasure to have you on board, man. We'll see you again for Road Wild. On behalf of Simon, if you'd like to follow us, you can do so on social media at Simon Tackle for Simon at digital underscore underscore beard for Owen on Twitter, one underscore on the old Instagram. Or maybe I've got that the wrong way around. You've nailed it, my friend. Oh, thank Christ. I should, have, <laughs> should not have doubted myself. Nims, never do that again. <laughs> and you can follow me at Doc Nims on the Twitter machine as well. Keep an eye on Grey Wolf Entertainment. There are some plenty of good podcasts coming your way. They've got a cool new fantasy football podcast that you can check out for yourself. And even Ned and Fitz's brand new one, We're Old Now, where it takes a look back at the glory days of our youth. But uh, this has been Reliving the War. We'll catch you next time. This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network, greywolfentertainment.net.